0: Welcome to the Conscious Leadership Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss the how-to of creating conscious leadership for business, life, and the world. With ordinary people doing extraordinary things and being truly in control of their own health, wealth, and happiness. Knowledge plus action with a plan creates magical results. Introducing your host, Julie Hogbin author, international speaker, mentor, disruptor, and creator of Conscious Leadership, and property investor living in the UK.
1: Hi, it's Rob Moore here, and I'm with Julie Hogbin. She's that way. Or maybe Julie Hogbin's with me. Uh, Yes, that way. (laughs) Yes, that way. Julie, thanks a lot for having me on your podcast, and we're also live streaming this out to my Facebook page, Disruptive Entrepreneur, LinkedIn. Give us a comment and let us know where you're watching from. So the title, as you can see from this live stream, is The Full Impact of COVID because Julie wants to talk to me about the knock-on consequences and effects, in my opinion, uh, from COVID. She runs a podcast called Conscious Leadership, and she has a brand called Conscious Leadership. So you should definitely follow her. Just search Julie Hogbin, Conscious Leadership, and you can find her on all the channels. Um, So, Julie, I am all (laughs) yours. Um, Thank you, Rob. i I just hand over to you and let's have
2: fun. Uh, Thank you very much. So um, for people that are watching this live, you probably know Rob, but on my um, podcast and in my world, perhaps some people don't know Rob. So just as a thought, uh, a very brief introduction from what I know, and I don't. I think I know some, and not all of it. So, Rob, I know you've written. You're an author of seven books. Uh, sixteen. Seven?
1: Now.
2: Sixteen. Okay, sixteen yeah, books. And I know they're. On, oh God, blimey! I know they're on Amazon. I know they're on Audible. Um, I know you are host of two podcasts: so Money and the Disruptive Entrepreneur. And for anybody listening, you really need to listen to both of those because they're fabulous. And the interviews Rob do does is stunning. Um, I think I know you have possibly four businesses, but I'm sure there's more that I don't know about. So progressive property, progressive success, uh, progressive let's. I know you're part of the PPN, you know the, the progressive network. So do you want to add any more businesses into that that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, I have um, a com- two companies, one called Disruptive Entrepreneurial Ventures and one called Intuitive Standard. Um, And they really manage my property portfolio because obviously I've got a pretty substantial property portfolio as well. Uh, I I also um, have revenue from books, from supporter program on social media, from staff's program on social media. So, yeah. Um, Yeah. I I mean, look, I'm an entrepreneur. Whenever people ask me, you know, Rob, who are you and what you do? I'm an entrepreneur. And some people don't really like owning that phrase. But I have multiple companies. I like to do many things. I like to be creative through business. I like to create through business. Um, And I train and mentor um, hundreds of thousands of start and scale up entrepreneurs. So that's really my calling. Someone said to me today, I had a meeting with someone uh, and he said, so, Rob, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? He just sort of said out of the blue. Um, and I think that that question would be quite scary to a lot of people and they wouldn't know, but I've been clear for many years what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Uh, because well, my, set,
2: you, Oh, sorry, you've set up a foundation as well, haven't you?
1: Yeah, well, my personal mission is to help as many people on this planet start and scale their business and get a better financial education. My um, foundation's mission is to help as many people start and scale a business and get a better financial educa- education, but especially young and underprivileged people. Now I believe anyone is or can be an entrepreneur, a startup, a scale up, someone who's um, working in a company but wants to be more of an intrapreneur. I believe entrepreneur is as much a mindset as it is a skill set. Are you creative? Do you want to solve problems? You know, do you like starting things? Um, are you dynamic and and energetic? Do you want to run your own companies? Um, are you a freedom seeker? Do you want to create better, a lifestyle for you and others? For me, all of those things come under the definition of entrepreneur.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting because I've looked up the definition of entrepreneur because quite a few people don't like being called it, I've noticed. And it's about being a business owner that takes the risks. Mm. So in its simplest format, you're in charge of your own destiny and future and livelihood and living. You're not at the beck and call of others, which with what's going on is a phenomenal place to be. Um, And Mm. I've just I've just seen a quote come through on the screen that says, we love you, Rob. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
2: And I wanted to pick up on that because (laughs) (laughs) now it was a man, Rob, so be careful. (laughs) Um, I wanted to pick up on that because I just wanted to sort of introduce how I got to know you. And I think it was probably 2012 ish. Um, When I decided to jack everything in that I'd ever done before, which was leadership management consultancy for decades and um, sort of threw everything I knew out the window and decided to become a property investor. And I did the progressive VIP program, which I know still runs um, when you and Mark, your business partner, for some people that might not know, Mark Homer, were actually doing some of the coaching and mentoring You you were still part of the program. Um, And I remember coming up to you, my very first one on one-to-one with you back then. And I have you probably don't remember this, but I do because it's stuck in my brain. And you said to me, what are your goals? And I said to have a property portfolio of a value of 15 million. And you said, by when? And I said the end of the year. So um, I haven't achieved that, by the way. (laughs) And I look back on that now and I I look at that and think what unrealistic expectations of somebody that came out of their own business. I was a partner in a firm into this entrepreneurial world and how that could have negatively affected my results, which I mean, I'm not got a 15 million pound portfolio by any stretch of the imagination. But part of that. I want to talk to you about I'd love to ask you about is the benefits of mentoring um, the benefits of coaching to anybody that wants to come into this world of running their own business being their own boss I've got some thought processes on the time scales of how long it takes people to be successful but I just want to hear what you think about mentoring and coaching. I know that's a a big, huge chunk of your business. It's a big, huge chunk of what you do. And you still mentor me now in marketing and branding and social media and various other aspects of what you do. But I first came to you in about 2012 for property training. Hmm. So what's your thoughts on mentoring and
1: coaching? First, I think it's been a pleasure to work with you, Julie, over these years. And thanks for being a supporter and a fan and a client of ours. Um, so, I believe that um, it is far easier and better to stand on the shoulders of giants, to yeah. um, follow a trail already blazed by someone else. I believe it's less risky. I believe you can leverage their mistakes. Um, and so, for me, having a coach or a mentor, or being in a mastermind or doing courses yeah. and education that aren't traditional school uni type. For me, they've been vital to my growth and progress, and ultimately success. And really, I had two different stages of my life when you think about being an entrepreneur, and one was before two thousand and five stroke six, when um, I tried art, I tried architecture, I tried being a pub landlord, and I tried to do everything myself and figure out everything myself. And I was too proud to ask for help, and I was too tight to pay money. And um, I I failed at those ventures, ultimately, not dramatically because they never got big enough to be a dramatic failure, but I failed at them. I didn't scale them. I didn't make any money out of them. But then when I got into um, property and business, and I started learning personal development. And really, Mark Homer was my first mentor, although he w- he wasn't called one. And then I had a chat with Warren Bourget that, that trained Mark and I up for a bit. And then I got mentored by Andres Todd, who's a billionaire, mentored by James Kahn from Dragon's Den, mentored by jo- Dr. John Demartini, who's, you know, um, I'm yeah, actually I'm putting a package together to get a, a new mentor of which he's one of the people I'm looking at. Um, and since I've had mentors and coaches, I went from minus 50 my, minus fifty grand's worth of debt to millionaire before the age of 31. And then, you know, multimillionaire and probably 120 plus million pounds in revenue. And of course, a, a portfolio of owned, co-owned managed properties of about 750, multiple businesses. We've got, we won business of the year 2016. I've written, you know, 16 books, like I said, and and all of this is, i can't take the credit or i did this i did the work don't get me wrong but um i had the same drive and desire um, and i was the same person before 2005 because i was in my mid-20s i just didn't know what i didn't know
0: yeah now
1: if i want the shortcut if i want to um you know leverage and fast forward my success i'm going to go to someone who's way down the line way more wise or or experienced than me in that particular area. like you probably wouldn't um, know what to eat and know how to train if you'd never done personal training. And, of course, you wouldn't go to a personal trainer that wasn't in good shape. So I I think you go to someone who's walked the walk, and, of course, there are fake mentors out there and there are fake gurus out there. I'm not really bothered about talking about that because there are fake everythings out there. Um, but, but you know, you've got to take the responsibility as the individual to be able to spot the, the real from the fake. Are they walking the walk, not just talking the yeah. talk? Um, so, so it just, you see, there's a lot of common sense out there, which I think is really stupid. Like, you know, people say, if you, want something, if you want something done properly, do it yourself. I mean, that's the stupidest thing. If you want something done properly, get someone who knows how to do it to do it. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're going to hire anyone, you've got to know their job first. Well, I've got a hundred staff, and if I knew all their jobs, then I, you know, I'd, I'd have to have a hundred degrees, three hundred years of study, just to, or five hundred years of study. So there's a lot of this conventional wisdom, and people think you've got to figure it out from yourself, learn from your mistakes. That's another common piece of sense. Oh, learn from mistakes? I think that's stupid. Learn from other people's mistakes.
0: Yeah.
2: How, how long do you think it? if you get a mentor? So say you're going into business because, I mean, it comes on to something I want to talk about later. If you're going into business now and you try to do it all on your own versus getting a mentor, however many steps above you they were, because I do I do believe that if you take one that's so far above you, you the steps to go from sort of here to there are so many and so big, it almost becomes invisible to see where you're going. But if you think about starting a business now, regardless of what that business was, how much do you think the timescale would be short circuited by having a mentor that's already done it?
1: I mean, could you put a scale on that? I'll try. I'm going to quickly just bear with me. I know we're live, but I've given myself myself a good idea for a podcast. So I (laughs) have to write it down. Um, So why? Why learning? From your mistakes is stupid. Everyone thinks, <laughs> everyone thinks that's good advice, but actually, if you think about it, it's far more wise to learn from the mistakes of others. Yeah, like, I... an really example of this would you rather learn about going bust by going bust or talking no. to someone who went bust and avoiding all the pitfalls? So, they...
2: second one for me, I have to admit, I don't want to go bust.
1: No, I meaning <laughs> never, I've I don't want to learn all the hard way that way. No, okay, so realistically. I think you should be able to achieve in one year with a mentor what you can achieve between two and five years without one when you don't know what you're doing and you've got to figure everything out yourself. Now, there's lots of variables because I've mentored thousands of people, Julie, and I've mentored people who've become millionaires and started with nothing. And I've mentored people who are already quite successful and actually could have done a lot more. They weren't really as motivated as they could be. So the question is, you know, how motivated, how motivated, how motivated, (laughs) um, how much do they really want and need what they're doing? Have they got a strategy? How much experience do they already have? How much cash do they have to invest? You've got all these variables. And so that's why someone could achieve in a year what they might have in five years on their own. But someone might achieve in a year what they might have done two years on their own, depending on where they're already at. But if you can't at least double the speed, what's, what's the point? Now, obviously, I haven't been able to do split tests because I can't take the world and put it into parallel universe and let them do exactly the same tasks on their own versus being mentored by me. I can't. But I, I see a lot of people who follow me and they, they consume all the free advice and they never invest any money. And I know so many of them come back to me and say, oh, Rob, I, I first saw you eight years ago. I first saw you 10 years ago. first saw you 12 years ago. And look how well you've done. And I think, well, you could have done exactly the same thing. I haven't performed miracles. I, I, you know, I, I don't work 15 hours a day like all the hustle and grinders say. I, so I'm not necessarily outworking people. Um, so if I was to get a mentor, I'm looking to between double and 5X the speed. Um, but it's also... Okay. Contacts you get. Mistakes oh yes, without doubt. Make things you don't have to figure out yourself. Um, so, oh, this is also important. Emotional support. A good mentor will be able to pick you up when you're a bit down, pull you down when you're a bit too. You know, like like people come to me all the time. Oh, Rob, yeah, I want to make a million pounds in a year, or I'm going to have a hundred million properties in five minutes. And you know, my job is to <laughs> pull them up when they're down, but just get them a bit realistic when they're a bit. Pie in the sky and of course because i've met so many people i could get a little bit of a feel for how long things take usually and this is quite a, a common thing julie sorry just to finish usually and, and you know many successful people have said this but people tend to overestimate what they can achieve in a year but dramatically underestimate what they could achieve in a decade or a lifetime and i think yes. that's why i see so many people like run at it like a bull in a china shop for three or six months you know, like like one of those little dogs just humping a leg really fast and really, <laughs> <hard>. <laughs> you know, over and over. But and they, they do and
2: they keep going back and doing the same thing as well. They don't. Yes, learn. yes.
1: <laughs> Two elements to that. One is that they go so hard and so fast, but for not very long, and then they get demotivated. You know, they get um sort of de- de- they're like why hasn't it happened to me and they're frustrated and they're angry and they feel that they've been wronged or they've been conned or they've been screwed over or they feel that they're a failure and all these emotions when they haven't been doing it long enough you don't plant a seed and see the tree in a day or even three months or even six months but also you're right a lot of people do the same thing over and over and over and over and over and, over and expect a different result which i believe mm-hmm. they say is the definition of insanity
2: It is. It's a great old Einstein quote. Um, Rob, what do you think that makes it makes you different from a lot of others? Because you, you know, you were in debt. You started off, you know, you said you'd had the failed businesses. I know you met Mark and I know you credit some of because you're so different, which leads me on to a leadership question in a bit later. But what is it about you that makes you different to so many others? What is your drive that makes you do this thing and be massively successful in it?
1: OK, there's quite a few questions in there, I think, Julie. Yeah. What's my drive? Yeah. What's made me successful? How am I different to others? I'll try and answer them all. So um, what gives me my drive is I now have a very clear life's mission and purpose, which is to help as many people on this planet start and scale their business and get a better financial education. I'm so clear on that. That's unmovable, unshakable in me. And of course, that manifests and cascades down in the form of books that you can see behind me. And I keep writing books and podcasts and free content and mentorships and masterminds and training companies and being an entrepreneur and building an empire and relationships and collaborations and sponsorships and endorsements. It's just when you've got that really clear vision and you feel so inspired by it. Um, it, it gives you a natural order it gives you a natural energy and passion and enthusiasm and so that's where half at least half of my drive comes from Julie the other half of my drive or maybe less than half but enough comes from being a, a fat overweight kid who didn't really fit in who always felt on the outside so I was never really in the cool group so I was often picked last for sport I was a bit late to the girls because none of the girls wanted to go out with the fat kid. I was the butt of all the jokes because I was the fattest kid. And that definitely built a big void in me and a need to be noticed and respected and and admired. And and, and that's still there. I've done a lot of personal development and therapy and I've gone back to that place a lot. And I've probably forgiven myself and others and I've probably let go of a lot of the baggage. But there's still enough of that void in there to drive me. And I've I actually hated that about myself for many years. But I've done a lot of study of very successful people, and it is quite common that they have an, an emptiness, avoid whether they were an immigrant um, and they felt unfairly treated, or they had a really hard upbringing, or they were abused, or or, or something or other. I mean, Oprah Winfrey was abused, and yeah. you know, you know many, Arnold Schwarzenegger was an immigrant. You know, a lot of very successful people had to deal with horrific. Um, you know, bullying, abuse, racism, sexism, etc. cetera. And actually these, you know, they say things make or break you. And, you, you know, people who've had a pretty privileged upbringing or, you know, or were, were given a lot of love, they're often very stable and secure, but they're not often the people that change the world because they don't have enough pain. So I suppose I'm in tune with my pain and I've learned to hone it rather than hate myself about it. So they're the the two elements of my drive. Uh, Success is a hard thing for me to talk about, Julie, because I don't see myself as successful. And and I'm not saying this to be falsely humble. I definitely don't see myself as any more successful than any other human being on this planet. What I do see myself as is someone who's giving good value to society. Now, I remember a quote. It might have been Drucker, but it was, you know, it was one of these um, management leadership consultants. It might have been Drucker or Maxwell um don't be a person of success be a person of value and um for many years when i was a young entrepreneur and i wanted to sort my life out and i wanted to still be noticed i wanted to be a successful person a millionaire a multi-millionaire have a successful business be the best in my industry beat the competition and i wasn't aggressive about it but i was that was a burning desire within me but what i realized is that's quite a selfish desire and there's nothing wrong with it. Hey, if it motivates you, great. But it only gets you to a certain level because it's selfish. Like, I'll give you an example. If I went around going to everyone, hey, I'm, I want to be a billionaire and I'm going to be a billionaire and I want to be a billionaire and I'm going to be a billionaire. Okay, the odd person who would like to be a billionaire would go, oh, yeah, Rob, I want you to be too, you know, because they want to learn from me. But most people would go, Rob, I don't really give a shit if you want to be a billionaire or not because me being a billionaire doesn't help anyone. But if I no. if I, go saying, if I, wanna, if I go around saying I want to create value for you, I want to be useful to you, I want to give you good podcast content, I want to bring good guests, guests to my podcast, I want to you know, be a good mentor to you, I want to create good courses and programs for you, I want to teach you the stuff that you don't know, I want to solve the problems that you're having, all of a sudden you're like, I'm interested in Rob because he wants to help me. So there's a massive yeah. difference between wanting to be successful wanting to be valuable and useful i want to be valuable and useful i know yeah. the more valuable and useful i am the more tens or hundreds of millions i'm gonna make that will take care of itself um and yeah, you know I'll, 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 I'll manage money i'm not being a um i'm not being flippant about it um yeah. so yeah success for me is and also i just know I'm, I'm just at the start of the journey i've been doing this 15 years I'm going to be doing it another 50, 55 years. I've got so much more to do, so much more to learn, so much more to give. So I can never really sit here and say I'm successful. I just know every day I wake up and I and I do valuable things for people. And I don't need to brag about it, Or, but I, I know I do. Now, the third element to your question, Julie, which was what makes me different? Um, well, I think we're all unique. I think that we all have a unique yeah. set of values. And so what makes me different is that I'm me and I suppose me honouring me. So I'm a pretty creative guy. Um, you know, when it comes to marketing and launches and um, training, I don't think many people would argue um, against that. We're pretty creative and innovative. We're often driving new courses and ventures, creating new solutions. A lot of that is driven from me. Um, so I'm a pretty creative guy how I am unique which is I have an interest in fashion I have an interest in art I have an interest in music I have an interest in people and I bring all of that uniquely into my training business but then anyone who runs a training business they bring their own uniqueness um so I suppose how I'm different is that I'm me and I've learned to be okay with that rather than comparing myself to other people I deem to be better and feeling like i'm not good enough because because i am good enough because i'm me and that's how i'm different
2: that leads me on to a question i've I've been scribbling i was scribbling notes before we got on live and um i was looking down to see um some of the book titles and the one that spoke to me of your book titles and i know your life leverage books up to its i think it's coming up to its fifth birthday soon Mm. but um I've just started a business with two other women and it's called the Women into Business Academies. We're going to teach women. I'm going to talk about it more with you, but more specifically with the questions and redundancies and things that come in. But the thing that really has been speaking to me recently is around there's a phrase like um, ready, aim, fire. One of your books is Start Now, Get Perfect Later. When you do the lot of research, actually, do the ready aim fire doesn't really work because you're ready. You're creating something that people aren't going to buy. So I, so it's I think it's now is it aim aim fire ready or something? People ready fire say, aim. Yeah, ready fire aim. Whatever, whatever the phrase is. But I'd love to get your. Take, I mean, I know I've heard you say this before, so it's not going to be new to me in some respects, but it will be to my listeners on my podcast and it will be to the women that I'm going to end up working with. Start now, get perfect later. What does that really mean? Because that is so alien to a lot of people. I've learned how to do this,
1: yeah,
2: vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> but what does it really mean for you? Please put your slant on that for people that are listening because it's so oh,
1: important. Right, I've had another idea, so let me just write this to my <laughs> I hope you... I'm getting
2: credit for your ideas, yeah, yeah. Well, because of this.
1: i shout you, you on my podcast, Julie. Why you <laughs> do not want to be successful. All right, cool, that's another podcast for me. Okay, so the, the concept of start now Get Perfect Later, which is a book I wrote already, is to not wait until everything is just perfect and all your ducks are in a row before you start something, a relationship, a new venture, a partnership, a business, whatever. And the reason you don't wait until all your ducks in a row or your perfect before you start is because you can never have everything ready before you start. Yeah, The concept of start now and get perfect later. And people say jump um, and uh, build the parachute or the aircraft on the way down. Like you said, ready, fire, aim, as opposed to ready, aim, fire. So other people have got their own slant on it. What they mean is you figure things out on the go, not before you go. And you can do as much diligence and research you like to buy a property, but until you've bought one... You don't really get how to do it you can you know you can run um, as many dummy campaigns or as many dummy trades as you like but until your own money and your own emotions are on the table you don't really know how it's going to be you can do all the research the the world has got to start your new online course the demand the demographic the price points But actually, it's the buyers or non-buyers that tell you through feedback by by voting with their feet, i.e. did they buy or not, actually what works and what doesn't. Um, So that's the concept of start now, get perfect later. But there's uh, there's more elements to this. And the most important one is getting over fear. Because actually, having your ducks in a row or wanting to have them all in a row or wanting to be perfect, the curse of perfectionism, there's a whole chapter on that in my book. Start now, get perfect later. I I usually don't hire perfectionists um, because often they're just massive procrastinators and they just can't get anything finished or even started. Now, let me make a caveat. If you're flying an aircraft with 500 passengers or you're a, a surgeon, you don't start now, get perfect later. You're not like, just give me the knife. All right, I'll figure this out. So, you know, when there's health and safety, uh, you know, and there's a proper process required, you've got to follow that process. I don't want people to think I'm being flippant. And, you know, you shouldn't use people's money to test things and waste their money or burn their money or put their risk or their customer at risk. You shouldn't do that. But, for example, if I'm going to launch a course, let's say I know it could be better in three months when I've got feedback from my buyers um you know and I've, I've i've had more time to develop it i'll launch a version 1 and i'll charge less money for that version 1 yeah. and i will get feedback from my beta users and, and they'll they'll feel happy because they've got the best price and they've given feedback to help me and then version 2 will be a bit more expensive as it's a bit better so yeah. i mean if you think about the most common thing where this happens all the time is with the iphone so the, the iphone 12 has just come out now, if they'd have waited to get everything ready and perfect hardware and software for the iPhone 12, they never would have started. And of course, what they do is they, they have the, the hardware, which they can't change once they've sold it to you. But they're always continually giving you software updates because they're improving the software all the time. Uh, and this is what you do with Start Now, Get Perfect Later. You can even write a book. And edit it three or four times and just in the end, go, oh, man, I've just got to get this book out there. You, you, you get a thousand copies printed or however many you sell them. You get some feedback. You get a few spelling yeah. mistakes. You ask people to choose their favorite chapter and their worst chapter and give you some feedback. And then you can even tweak your book. And, you know, every sort of thousand or five thousand or ten thousand copies or every three years, you can update the uh, the edition. And uh, the, the concept of start now, get perfect later has gotten thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs that I've coached and mentored and, you know, given education, It's got them started and it's got them on the way and they've learned as they go because, you know, as they say, I think this is a, an ancient quote, to know and not to do is not to know uh, and you yeah. just have to go.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. Thank you. Um, I was thinking about, so and this is actually really, really serious. I did some research the other day and I looked at the um, potential redundancies that are going to come through from where we are currently, the current situation. Um, And the figures I saw, certain size companies have to report into the EIS, which is the employment industry standards body of some description. And there's something like 775,000 redundancies predicted between now and Christmas. So, this, this like now. And I looked back at the figures from 2008, so the last recession we were in, and 180,000 people were made redundant. So, the prediction is that this is going to be a much bigger recession. So, with that in mind, and I put my um, I told people in my network that I was going to be interviewing you this afternoon and a few questions come up about uh, what would you suggest would be the business to start, um, how to create a business now. So with that in mind, and a lot of people that will be coming out of employment into thinking potentially to set up their own income stream whatever that might be what's your suggestion at the moment or suggestions at the moment
1: so again there's there's a few things that we can extract here so first off because it's in the title i want to address this you wanted to talk about the full possible impact of covid yeah it's Um, huge yeah now look i'm not a predictor because i see people predict stuff all the time and they're either really wrong or they're doing some kind of marketing or ulterior motive so you rarely see me predict but when it comes to helping my following um, and getting people ready for the world um, you you know I like to warn what could happen I don't know what unemployment will be but I think very high I think there is a serious There's a very high chance that unemployment could be very high and someone who thought they had a secure job doesn't anymore. I think there's a very real possibility of many otherwise pretty good businesses going bust. I think if you have a load of stock, if you're in retail, in leisure, you know, you have physical premises and there's looking at, you know, these extra tiered lockdowns. There is a clear and present danger that you or a supplier or a business that's somehow connected to you um, could be a threat and you should take that very seriously Um, that's point one but point two is with every downside there's an upside and therefore when there is a change of order or a breaking of an old empire empires always break um, and if if there's going to be some big travel and leisure and retail companies that go under, it's just like the Roman Empire. It was 2000 year old empire, but then it broke away and it was replaced. So right now, the old empires of massive um, conglomerate retail um, and high street um, and another sort of maybe fairly mature, powerful industries, they could be dramatically at risk. But then the new order comes. So obviously Jeff Bezos probably loves COVID because <laughs> he's yeah, made. I should money. imagine he's profit. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously yeah. Amazon is um, it dominates online. Shopify is a big thing. We have a Shopify course. We have an Amazon course as well. But and um, what we're finding is the competition's quite strong on Amazon. But of course, it's where the most traffic and the most users are but Shopify there is a big growing e-commerce platform. It's not new, but it doesn't quite have the competition or maybe the slight more monopolistic tendencies that, that um, Amazon does. So I think if you're not generating money online, you risk being one of those companies. You know, if you're a traditional business, a hairdresser, a plumber, anything like that, you know, you've got to face the fact that not only have you had to close for months, you might have to close for more months. How long can you survive?
0: Yes. So the
1: upside of this is the new opportunity is online income streams um, uh, because most of the traffic is going online because if people are locked down, then obviously, um, what are they going to do? They're going to spend their money online. They're still spending money. Um, our um, company, uh, our, um, I was going to say, because it's just changed recently, but since March when the lockdown happened, I would say our turnover went down about 40%. Some months, it was maybe half of our best months when we were doing face-to-face events because we used to do 850 live events before the lockdown. But then some months were only 30% down. Yeah, we got our overhead down significantly. We furloughed some staff and we cut some unnecessary or non-essential overhead. Um, and right now, our turnover is going back up to the same levels as the face to face. Our profit margins are up 250, 300%. Because you've gone online? Well, there's a few reasons. One, because we reacted to the situation very yeah. quickly. Uh, we didn't just stop or give up or throw the towel in, but we took the situation very seriously. And at one, every single week, we were taking one of our face to face courses. And creating an online version. And we did 12 in 12 weeks and then just more and more. Um, Obviously, we took it it seriously and reduced our overhead. We leveraged the furloughing scheme. um, But also we looked for new opportunities and our events were mostly face to face, mostly UK. And now they're mostly online and now they're global and so now we're seeing the full effects of being able to scale because we can run events everywhere and i almost think now for us i'm not i'm not saying i want another lockdown i don't there's a million reasons why i don't
0: yeah
1: but another lockdown would probably actually be good for our business now not bad because of the way that we've reacted and pivoted and adapted to the situation now this always reminds me of the thing about survival where it's not the strongest that survive but it's those that are most adaptable to change yeah um So right now, so to lead into the next part of your question, Julie, which is what are the opportunities? I think anything where you can generate income online, whether you do eBay, um, e-commerce on Amazon, Shopify, I think you've got to be online and you've got to have you've got to have a shop front online. I think if you've got knowledge and experience. So, for example, if I if I was mentoring you in this, Julie, you've got loads of experience in leadership. Um, and management, uh, yeah. you know, building teams. So I'd be like, we need to create an online course, maybe on Kajabi or do Zoom masterminds. And I'd take what's in your head over the 30 years of experience you've got, or however long it is, Julie. I know it's decades of Hello. experience. Um, <laughs> and and I, I better not say the exact amount of years. No, don't. <laughs> but I'd you can see the grain. i I'll be looking <laughs> to take your information and package pack, it. Pack. Now, I've sold more than £120 million worth of information in the last just over a decade it's a brilliant business it doesn't have the stock holding it doesn't have the overhead it doesn't yeah. you don't need to buy a premises so it's, so that is i'd definitely be doing and then the final thing is i'd be looking to buy some of these struggling businesses for pennies in the pound rescuing them turning them round so i'm trying to buy letting agencies and training companies right now because these are the spaces that i'm in and the businesses that i know um, and I think that um, there's going to be great opportunities for companies that are struggling for you to um, you know, pick up very good deals. Now, in 2008, I think it was, I bought a personal development company. I basically bought it for next to no money. I just paid a token, sum for the database. It was doing multi-millions across the world before the recession of 08. And then it went down to basically, well, we bought it for five grand. So that was what it became worth and then we we don't get me wrong it was a mess and we had a lot of work to do and a lot of responsibility to deliver but we turned that around and that company did 11 million in 2016. we bought a letting agency and we got 160 odd properties for 20 or 25 grand so i'm i'm not averse to buying companies for little or no money Um, and i didn't think i didn't know if there'd be another time to buy such great bargains um, but you. the time is now. There is going to be more yeah. companies that are going under because of this. And so that's the other business opportunity that I'm in. And I'm sort of saying to other people that they can get into.
0: What, what's your
2: thoughts? Because um, with all the blockchain and Bitcoin, you know, the alternate currencies, what's your thoughts on that as a business for people or an income generating stream, perhaps for people?
1: Yeah, yeah, look, I, um, a few years ago, um, when crypto was proven but still new, I partnered up with um, Siam Kid, who's a good guy, and he knows his stuff on crypto, and we created an online course together. Now, um, and we sold thousands of them, and I intentionally did a few things. Number one is we charged less than 500 quid for the course, like 350 quid. I didn't want to charge people thousands because I didn't want um, – I just thought that there could be a lot of um, unsophistication flying into that market, yep. and yep. I didn't want—I um, didn't w- want to accelerate that. Number two is um, I wanted people to learn from the right person, and, and Siam knows his stuff. Um, number three was I wanted people to understand about blockchain as well as crypto. So a lot of people are like crypto, crypto, crypto because they see it as kind of a get-rich-quick thing. But they're not really looking at the technology behind it or the change in the way that money is moving and behaving and what constitutes money. I also warned everyone, everyone, I said, don't give me any money, don't come into any trading with us unless you are only investing risk capital in crypto. And by risk capital, I mean money you can afford to lose. Yeah. And I'd say the same thing now. Now, volatility is both good and bad. Yeah. Volatility is good because you get big um, rises, but you get big drops. You know, professional traders love volatility, but it's an amateurish. It's just a way to pull in amateurs and lose money left, right and center. So it's pretty volatile at the moment. Um, I think that a change of the way currency is exchanged is coming. I thought that for a long time. I thought that the 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 speed of money is increasing all the time, and anything that makes money more secure uh, and more more um, it increases the speed uh, is likely to be adapted, adopted as a a technology or a way of exchanging money. Yeah. Um, But there's so much unknown, so I would say um, crypto prices seem very high. I would. Make sure you do a lot of your research. I would probably be quite diverse in in putting. Don't just dump it all into one crypto. Be quite diverse. Um, I would only put money in you can afford to lose. Yeah, and I would, I would know the difference between running a business, investing, and speculating.
0: Yeah. So perfect. running a business
1: actually wanted to get into mining crypto and getting um, and understanding crypto, making it your life's work and mission. And, and hey, look, that's probably a, a growing industry. So. I, I wouldn't talk anyone out of that, but like any business that you want to really be successful at, you've got to know your shit. And a lot of people have read a few articles and think they know their shit and they don't investing and speculating are, are very different. And I think most people, when they go getting into crypto are gambling and they don't know it. Um, and so investing means spreading your risk. It means doing proper diligence and research. It means, um, you know, hedging. It means um, le- utilizing leverage if you can, um, And, yeah, only risk capital you can afford to lose. Uh, And I'd probably be in more fundamental asset classes first, like property, for example. Why would you go into crypto before you go into property? Make sure you max your um, ISAs and you have sort of more defensive investment strategies before you get into this more risky, volatile stuff.
2: Okay, um, interesting about ices. Are you talking about cash ices or or stock uh, Yeah,
1: I, I invest my ISA in the stock market usually yeah, okay. in a fund. Because, because you have got, you get no return on cash at the moment, and you haven't. Yeah, paid there's it. nothing. Yeah, no.
2: it's devaluing, isn't it? If you've got if you've got cash in the bank yeah. in any form of savings, it's just devaluing because of the non interest rate. It is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah is. Okay.
2: Um, I want to change subject, Rob, if I can. And this is still business, um, but this is about women in business. And I know you and I have had a couple of conversations about getting women on your podcast and and everything about that. But, I mean, through the mentoring that you do, I would imagine and I'm guessing um, that there are less women come through your courses or that you mentor than men, guessing
1: yeah, but not by, um, not like 80-20. I'd probably say more like 65-35. Hmm, <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult to say, but it, yeah, it's probably around that ratio.
2: What do you think, that, I mean, and from mentoring both, because clearly, you know, we're different. We have different, or we're, we're all different anyway. We are all unique. But what do you think is the difference so if you like the main characteristics of women in business versus men in business so the differences and i'll I'll put you on the spot there and i can see you smiling
1: (laughs) yeah i don't mind being put on the spot um i'm just gonna say what i feel
0: yeah yeah. And,
1: and if if people get upset by this then they have to own that because i'll make a few caveats first i think the whole debate about um sex and business, male and female or whatever gender you identify with. Yeah. I think there's a lot of emotion around it. And I think people get distracted from the facts. And I think we're in a world where people seem to want to be make have a profession of being offended. And I do try and you know, I have got a lot of experience and a lot of data in women in business because I've mentored so many. And I understand, you know, a woman might look at me and go, well, you're not a woman, you'll never know. But I'm married to a woman. I've mentored so many women entrepreneurs, you know, and I've got, and and as you know, Julie, I get very um, involved and I mentor in a very hands on way. And we talk a lot, a lot of us who are in my communities. And, you know, we've had lots of discussions and debates around this in our masterminds. Um, So I think, I think the first one of, You asked me, why do I not have as many women as men? I can only go from my own data set. But I think that um, when you're an entrepreneur, you have to have quite a high appetite for risk. And my Mm. guess is, intrinsic within our nature, men are probably more likely to take risks than women, probably because we are not the primary carer of the children going back traditionally. I, by the way, I'm all in favour of traditions being busted. And, um, you, you know, and like um, like I think paternity leave is great. It shouldn't just be maternity leave. I think that, um, you know, the I think a lot of uh, women don't want to have children. That's fine. I support all that. Um, but I, I've got an MD and many people who are high level in our ops team who are women, and they've told me this. Um, and so they don't jump their career or they haven't jumped their career as much as maybe some of the men because it's a risk to their children. Them maybe not having a job, whereas a man who doesn't have children or isn't the primary carer of the children might think I can take more of a risk. This is what successful women have told me. So I think yeah. that's reason, number one, why we might not have as many entrepreneurs or women as men. Number two, I'm a man. So you, the, the, the um, while she might sort of think that maybe as a man, I might attract more women clients. If you look at my demographic, they're 35 to 45 year old men because I'm a 35 to 45 year old man. So I'm attracting people who are like me. And a lot. I know I, I know a lot, a lot of women are attracted into our community, but there'll be plenty of women that go. I don't think I can learn from a man. I want to learn from a woman who of similar age so naturally i'm attracting people who are more like me if i was a 41 year old woman i bet you i'd have 65 percent women clients so this is the next thing i think naturally you're going to have more entrepreneurs who are men than women if like statistically and some people are like, oh that's wrong it's not fair it's not equal but you get more men plumbers you get more women nurses this is just you know and this is okay that some w- 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 women's natural born you know skills and hormones and um, you know the, the natural differences between men and women do lean better to different careers. I'll give you an example, and, and I'll, I'll be open about this. In my experience of hiring people, women are usually more honest, usually more trustworthy, and usually stay with you longer and more loyal.
2: That's interesting. So... That's really interesting. That that then says to me that women, and I am one, so, you know, I, I can say this even if you can't, um, probably are more resistant to change. Potentially, yeah, because I it's mean, the, the security of the comfort of the, perhaps of the knowing.
1: Yeah. Now, look, you, I, yeah. I, I mean, you can get very masculine women and you can get very yeah. feminine men in yes. terms of their energy and their drive. So you can get some yeah. serious career women. Don't get me wrong about this, yeah. but they may have their career as their most important thing, as not, not as their children. And I think if you look statistically, you'd find, and I haven't done the research on this, but more women are likely to have their children as their number one priority yes. than men. Because I think traditionally, and that's being busted, but traditionally that would be the family dynamic. Um, yeah. So Now, what, what we find with men is they will usually take more risks. They will usually quit and, you know, um, they would usually take a punt and come to us or quit from us and take a punt and go to someone else. That Nearly all the people who set up in competition against us are men, not women. Um, nearly all the people who've made the database or screwed us over have been men, not women. Not saying they're not in fact, I can only think of one, maybe two women in the course of our 12 years, and they were very masculine-energied women. So um, I, I think there's many superior traits in women to men, but I have to say this, and, I, and I'm sorry, I'm just giving you my experience. There no, is no, way, more, no, way more gossip in my team from women than men. Yes. Yes. There, is way, there is way more emotion, which means that's good because they're sensitive to emotion so they read people better they tend to know what's going on in their personal lives know if they've got something going on at home but controlling their emotions in my experience the women find that harder than the men now look I might not be a, a you know my experience in my company might be different from other companies um but I just think there are natural differences between men and women that we sh- it should be okay for us to talk about them Testosterone makes men do crazy shit. Estrogen makes women do crazy shit. That's okay <laughs> to talk about. I'll probably get quoted. I'll probably get trolled. I'll probably get posted <laughs> on. Um, but so I, I think if you're a woman, you've got to understand what your strengths are and play to them. Yeah. yeah absolutely. I, 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 I've had a lot of discussions about this. I've got a podcast coming out next week from, I've got eight mums in a room and we talked about this. And most women in that room and most women I talk to because they're entrepreneurs, they've taken the view that I'm a woman. Okay. I might have some underprivileges or it might have been harder being a woman, but um, actually I'm going to own my strengths and bring my strengths to the the party. Women have naturally born strengths that give them an advantage. Men have naturally born strengths that give them an advantage. So I would say don't play the victim card. Don't look at what disadvantages you have. Look at what advantages you bring. I will also say we are in the perfect age for being a woman entrepreneur or a woman leader, because right now, middle aged men are the least favoured demographic in media. They're the ones getting fired on TV. Um, Quite a lot of middle aged men got fired from Sky Sports and they brought in one of my good friends, Ebony. Um, she's an, she's an ex-England um, cricketer Really good friend of mine She's a lovely person She's one of the main commentators for Sky now right. So we're coming to the age Where women leaders have got a great opportunity To step up One yes. thing I'm going to say And I, I haven't figured out why But when I agree a podcast I would say 90% of the changing of date The kind of messing around The cancelling it's The pulling out Is coming from women um and people have, some people have said to me, Well, Rob, maybe it's you. Well, no, they <laughs> they agreed it initially and they agree it with my agent, not with me. So yeah,
0: see,
2: I see I wouldn't agree with that from anybody. If if you agree to do something, unless there's an absolute, you know, really hard and fast rule that something happens that you just can't change, you make an agreement, you make an agreement, and you stick to it. Because for yeah. me, that's integrity. Yeah, that's that's part of your. Moral compass and your credibility. I mean, it all links into your credibility to me. If somebody kept cancelling on me, that would be my their credibility for me would go down the pan completely because it's just not not what you do. It's not what you you should do in business. No, I very very often say the only thing we truly have is our reputation. Yeah, you know, and when that's gone, it's really really hard to get it back.
1: Hundred percent, and yeah, unfortunately. Um, I don't know. I don't want to labour this point because it could just be a, 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 a non-holistic data set, but it fascinates me. I, you know, my wife has said to me maybe they have children and responsibilities or or whatever, but um, and I, I'm, do you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to chuck this out there because um, <laughs> something I said I'd never say in public, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it because it's important. Go uh, for it. Women have a natural cycle. Uh, and yes. my, my wife said, for about five days of the month, she's a bit all over the place. And, you know, she has a thick head and she feels, you know, more sensitive and um, she feels just, you know, more vulnerable. And what we've been doing is like analyzing that cycle and, and, and trying to build our life around it so that we don't put important decisions. Um, and, you know, we make sure that um, we're setting a really good environment to handle that cycle. Um, now, men probably do as well. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I, I think we have natural cycles in the day. We have our own natural circadian rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. As a man and a woman, if we know, um, you know, weekly, daily and monthly cycles, and when we're naturally energized and enthused and, you know, we're, or when you're naturally ovulating or, when you know, or whatever, you can't figure these things out now with all this biohacking yeah um because yeah. one like i just had a meeting it was um what time was it it was two o'clock and we were halfway in about half two and we'd gone off on tangents and we were and i just realized my brain is fried. Uh, there's no point me contributing right now because my brain uh, is one of the like low points in my day i don't usually make decisions at three o'clock or four o'clock in the afternoon because that that time for me, my circadian rhythm is really low. So if you plot your energy roller coasters, your yeah. highs, and lows, your ebbs and flows, and your cycles as a man and a woman, and you you plot you you trial it for weeks or months, and you can see when you're energized, enthused, you're um, resilient, and you can see when you're vulnerable, weak, yeah. and emotional. And we all have that that cycle. But of course, women, of course, it's most famous because you obviously have your ovulation cycle. I think you will master business and life more when you're fully aware. So really what this is about being self-aware and I'm very careful when I'm overly high or overly low or overly tired or overly stressed, not to make important decisions and not to be around people because you can fuck up your whole life in that that one day or that one moment when you lose your shit because you're just a bit weaker. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for it. And I, I said I'd never share it because it's private conversations myself and my wife have. But actually, I think it's imp- someone's got to stand out there and have the courage to say, look, I'm going to say it how it is, even if I get a load of hate uh, from it.
2: No, yeah, but I'm. I, see, for me, why would you get hate? I mean, you're talking to me as a woman who has all those things or have, has had all those things going on in their life. And, I, and why would you get hate for saying something that in reality... Just, yeah,
1: people well, just... They they just take a sound bite and they think I'm sexist. Yeah,
2: yeah, but that's not being sexist. That's being real in the world where we do all have our different energy. I mean, I know I'm far better at doing certain things in the morning than I am in the evening, or far better at doing certain things at ten o'clock than I am at four o'clock, because we have that. We all, as you've said, have our natural flow and rhythm, and if we can yeah. work out what that is, then we get far better results and enjoy our life more.
0: Yeah,
1: because we
2: do things when we're in the moment of actually, that's the time to do it because we're really good at it at that point.
1: You but know, if you don't, if you think about it, and this is this is why being an entrepreneur is great. Like, if you think about getting a love job, it,
2: otherwise,
1: <laughs> Monday to Monday to Friday, nine to five. Okay, that's um, light and day and seasonal. Um, yeah. That works, but from our own natural monthly cycles and rhythms, it doesn't work. Yes. So, as an entrepreneur, you can plan when you get up, when you go to bed, when you work. Yeah. I work at six in the morning. I don't work at three in the afternoon. I don't work in evenings. Um, I, 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 lo- I work, I work weekends, but only early in the morning. Um, yeah. And I prep, uh, when I say work, I, I mean I'm on another retirement at the moment. But I'm always <laughs> planning new stuff. And um, but time alone to work on what I want, whether it's a book or some content. And I've created my own rhythm, my own version of nine to five. And I think that's business and life mastery is when you have mastered that, your own rhythm. Um, And I actually, I know I'm going to get some shit for this, Julie. And and you say you were the first person that sort of got it out. But I'm also really pleased to say that um, we've we've got some uh, females. Jason just said a really good point about being aware of biorhythms. Yep. This just said I always plan around my natural cycles. I did this by listening to my body. I had a horrendous time in my late 40s yep. a thing in my 50s. Exactly. And if you're in a hard corporate environment or if you're an entrepreneur and you're having to work through against your body, this is why mental health is vital. Physical energy is vital, because if you're working against those. You're already set up for failure.
2: Yeah, you haven't got a hope if you're working against it. You've got to work with it, whatever it is, and we're all we're all so different. So this whole assumption that we can lead and treat and manage and be with people and be exactly the same with everybody just doesn't work. No. Doesn't work. No. Um, Rob, I'm really conscious of your time.
1: Yeah, I've got um, another meeting.
2: Yeah, are you are you late for it yet?
1: Uh, well they're coming to me. So yeah, let's let's just finish off. Um uh, okay. maybe ping one more question.
2: Um, okay. I'm going to pin one from some of the people that I asked today then. Sure. Um, okay. So Wayne Smith, I'll I'll do this one. because I think it's actually a really good question. Um, what does Rob term as his biggest mistake in
1: business? Uh, Not starting earlier.
2: (laughs) That's mine.
1: It's simple. Simple for me. I started when I was 25, 20, 26, 27. But I had ample opportunity to start when I was 15, 18, 21, and I didn't. And no mistake I've made in business, for me anyway, I look some of my critics or ex-partners might say something different. Um, but for me, the biggest mistake was not starting when earlier when I had the chance, not taking the opportunities. I am the sort of person, I know it's a, a common quote, but I do think it's better to regret something you have done than regret something you haven't done yeah um, i generally even when i've made mistakes i generally don't tend to regret because i think it's a waste of energy in life
0: yeah absolutely.
1: i learn from it yeah um but yeah m- more of my mistakes and things i haven't done not things i have
2: and you know what you're saying that so you regret not starting till you're 25 i regret not starting till i was 50 but i didn't even know i could before i was 50 if that makes yeah. sense but at least i started okay one more then let's do if i may one more sure. um So if that was your big, so, and I know you asked this on your podcast, what was the best piece of advice you ever received?
1: Hmm. (laughs) Right. So I get asked this a lot and I think my answer changes every time. And that's because I've had a lot of good advice and it's very difficult to remember, you know, the, the one stage. Also, I think it depends where you're at in your life. So the answer, I'm, I always like to make all my interviews different as well so that they're unique. So I'm going to give an answer now that I've not given before when it comes to this, but I think it's really important advice. Before you judge and you criticise someone, just take a bit of time to try and understand what they may be going through and that there are always two sides to a story. Yeah. And I think there's so much reactive judgment in a nanosecond on social media. And I think people are so flippant and impressionable and changeable um, just because of something that they read that they've not done any diligence on. And I would say in the last year, at least six times, someone has come out criticizing me and um, shared a bunch of lies or there's 5% truth in it and they've added the 95% lie. Um, And in these situations, I have chosen not to respond because it's been better for my brand. I've had way more to lose than them. You know, they just criticize me or use my name to get a few thousand views. Um, and so I've been the recipient of this a few times. And now I get people just doing it. Now I remember there was a guy at school, he used to pick fight, he used to pick fights with all the people that were the strongest in the year, because he just used to like picking fights. And I have quite a people now, quite a lot of people now that come to me because um they like to pick a fight with someone who's got a brand and a following. And that's just what you get, you know, when you're at where I'm at. Um, but I know that there's been people who've judged me or taken that one-sided view without even asking me or anyone what's the yeah. other side and i i know that as a great manager and leader you get people come to all the time this isn't fair that isn't fair they said this did this is wrong blah 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 and it's very easy to try and defend them or help them when in reality if you went to the other person they were talking about you'd get a completely different viewpoint yeah so I think wisdom is in understanding when people hurt people, they hurt themselves. That lovely quote, hurt people, hurt people. Understanding their pain will make you more empathetic um, and actually help you manage them better. Um, I think that when you take time to consider what people are going through, you probably calm your own emotions and your own responses. And... I've been in this business a long time and there's a lot of people that are out there taking bikes and scrapping against their competition and criticizing and accusing and blaming and reacting. You can do that for six months, a year, 18 months, build some followers who love you and hate everyone. But if you want to be in a business 15 years, you can't do that because you've got no friends left. And, and, And everyone just realizes that you're just, you know, you can't control your emotions and that you're rash and that you're unprofessional and that, um, So, yeah, I just wanted to say that because I just think that's more important in this world. And, you know, shit's hard enough as it is. And there are people that that take their own life because of COVID and what it's done to their business. Um, And I'm the sort of person I like to defend myself. I'm the sort of person that I feel it's not fair when I, I get judged and I feel like I should put my side across. But. For the sake of my business and my brand and my reputation and being a better, bigger person, I keep my mouth shut a lot. Um, but, yeah, I'll leave it at that.
2: Yeah, I, I think I just, I'll, I mean, I am con- really conscious of the time. And I think that, for me, Rob, comes back to AY, you're still one of my mentors because I've seen that. I've seen you do that. I know you do that. Um, and I've been around and about and not constantly since about 2012 I came in I left I come back I've left I've come back sort of thing because you constantly evolve and I know you constantly um well you constantly evolve let alone the business and what you deliver but your your personal I mean I know and I know you've done a lot of work on this you know I've, I've listened to the things you've said before but for me that's what conscious leadership is which i know is, is my thing and i know we haven't spoken about it much but you are consciously leading yourself to lead others which means that you can't you think about the decisions you make and the energies that you put out and the information you share um and you don't get defensive even though sometimes you might feel like you might want to but you don't it doesn't come out on social media so for me that is around conscious leadership you know you make the best decisions that you can with the information you've got at the time but I know you question the decisions you make as well which leads you to a better decision and it's a conscious decision from the unconscious because I know you work with you know I know you work with John D. Martinian, um the values and looking at what they all mean and spectrums and ends as, as scales because we've had those conversations which is perhaps for a completely another conversation because I'm really conscious of your time here um, and I just want to say a, a huge thank you, Rob, because I know you—you've said you don't work at three, but you're doing a podcast interview. And I know you're retired, but you're still doing podcast yeah. interviews. <laughs> well, I can because I
1: am retired, so that's
2: fine. You are, uh, yes. Yeah, so you can spend I'd your time now. Like
1: you want, You know I would.
2: Thank you, um, and I'm just going to say a massive thank you, Rob. A for sharing what you told your wife you wouldn't share, but thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. and have a fabulous rest of the day.
1: You too, thanks, Julie. So, for everyone watching and follows me, make sure you subscribe to Julie's podcast, which is called yeah. Conscious Leadership. My podcast yeah. is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. And what Julia and I are going to do as well for those of you, all of you that have watched live on my LinkedIn, my Facebook Disruptive Entrepreneur Group, and YouTube is we'll come back to these channels through the the day or maybe towards the weekend. And we'll engage in some of the conversations, answer some of the questions which maybe didn't get um, answered because this obviously wasn't a Q&A because um, I like to keep the conversations going.
0: Thanks for listening to the Conscious Leadership Podcast. You can contact Julie on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and Hear Me Out. Please subscribe to her YouTube channel for how-to videos and more content. And please message Julie to have your questions answered. Until next time, remember, knowledge plus action with a plan creates magical results. See it, say it, write it, believe it and achieve it.